With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Friday's Football Social Daily and it's a fantastic Friday morning if you're an Arsenal fan and a West Ham supporter as both sides are through in their European competitions by topping the group. West Ham with a 100% winning record and Arsenal doing the job against Zurich last night as well. However, despite Manchester United's victory in the Europa League last night, a little bit glum around the place today. They beat Sociedad by a goal to nil, but that wasn't enough to see them go through as group winners, which means they'll bump into a Champions League dropout in the round of 32 after Christmas. But have Manchester United engineered themselves into a position where they shouldn't be scared of Sporting or Juve or Barca or Ajax, because those are one of the teams that they might come up against when that draw comes around. Some might argue the most scary thing to happen last night was Harry Maguire being given a go up front. We'll get stuck into all of that on today's episode of Football Social Daily, as well as the Friday quiz as we put the lads through their Premier League paces. My name's Niall and joining me to do all of that today, we've got Marley Anderson and Jim Salverson. How are you doing, boys? I'm all right, Tar. Friday, isn't it? Friday's always good. Friday is always good. And you get to do the quiz, Jim, which I don't think you've ever done before, have you? No, I'm excited by that. And given the date, there will be fireworks, which, which will mean nothing to anyone who's not in the UK, actually. So if you are listening outside the of UK, course, it's, yeah. something, it's, a, it's a really weird thing, Guy Fawkes Night. There was a bloke who, back in the 18th century, tried to blow up the Houses of Parliament. And to mark that occasion, every year we set off little explosions in the sky. <laughs> it's insane, <laughs> but we've been doing it for yeah, hundreds yeah. of years. Yeah, um, but you know, the longer time goes on, the more I think Guy Fawkes did actually have a point, to be honest with you, um, with the way <laughs> things have gone in Parliament. Um, Marley's excited because, Jim, you're actually going to be on the quiz as a contestant rather than a, a quiz master. Is that, isn't that right, Marley? It is, yeah. I'm also... Um kind of working out Jim's logic of uh, he's excited for the little explosions in the sky because it's um it's going to be an explosive quiz and the 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 rhyme goes remember remember the 5th of November and Jim's remembered it on the 4th of November so <laughs> that sums up Jim in in one in one swift little story there to be honest but yeah looking forward to the quiz because uh, usually Jim's the quizzer 
um, setting the questions and usually screws me over with some really hard, uh, hard questions that only his dad knew back in the day that's passed down <laughs> through him into his knowledge. And then, uh, hands them off to me, like who was West Ham's left back in the FA Cup final in 1975 or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> I've got literally no chance. So what's, what's, what's the phrase? Hate the player, not the game. Isn't, isn't that how it goes? It's like, don't blame the questions just because you don't know the answers. Well, we're five minutes into the podcast, and you've got one phrase wrong already with uh, with bonfire <laughs> nights. So don't give me don't give me uh, lectures on uh, phrases. Well, you are the player, Jim. So you're probably going to hate yourself by the end of the quiz. We'll find out later okay. on because that's what we do at the end of the podcast on a Friday on FSD. But first, there were European games involving Premier League teams last night, so we're going to dive into those: Manchester United, Arsenal, and West Ham all in action. And it's away in northern Spain where we'll begin, where Manchester United beat Real Sociedad by a goal to nil. So victory for them but it was not enough to progress through the group stages as Europa League group winners that honour did go to their opponents Real Sociedad by virtue of goal difference which means that United go into the round of 32 to play a Champions League dropout after the new year Jim is that a hindrance for Manchester United and for Eric Ten Hag to have those two extra games I'm sure they would have much preferred to go straight into the last 16 and do without those matches yeah, and we're going to see a similar thing across all competitions this year, aren't we, when it comes to kind of FA Cup replays and all that kind of thing. Teams are going to want to avoid having those extra fixtures at all cost because I'm going to risk sounding like a broken record here. We don't know what the World Cup's going to do. We've got this World Cup that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks that is going to cause massive fatigue for some players and then players who don't go are going to get a few extra weeks off and might come back refreshed. But for a team like Manchester United, where you're fielding pretty much 11 international footballers most of them are going to be going to the world cup there is going to be an element of fatigue in those players coming back in so those two extra fixtures are going to undoubtedly cause problems in what is already a congested fixture list but at the end of the day Manchester United only have themselves to blame they would have looked at Group E going into the Europa League and they would have had full confidence that they could have come out top of that group without too much difficulty and they hit second without too much difficulty I mean, let's face it, Sheriff Tiraspol and Ammonia Nicosia aren't going to cause too much opposition to a team like Manchester United, but they failed to get that top spot. And I think going into the competition, that was probably minimum requirements for Ten Hag and co, that they did claim that top spot in what is a competition that historically has been seen as beneath the club. So they have got extra games to play. That will be a problem, but it's only themselves they can have to blame for that scenario. Yeah, we'll come on to the actual game last night in a second, but just building on what Jim said there, Marley, there are a few United fans I've seen on social media that are a bit vexed about the controversial handball in the reverse fixture at Old Trafford, which was the first game of the group stages. I've seen a few different reasons as to why United haven't gone through in top spot, and this seems to be the one that tops the list. It was the night that the Queen passed away, and they actually lost the game 1-0, a handball uh, by uh, Lisandro Martinez, and it was really harsh. It deflected off of, his, off of his thigh and onto his arm. For me, it wasn't a penalty. I was there that night, and I thought it was really harsh. However, you can argue on the flip side, they should have scored more goals against Sheriff Tiraspol, and they should have scored more goals against Ammonia. And against the Cypriot team, they only managed to score a 90th minute winner after having 34 shots. So you can look at a dodgy handball decision, but then you can also look at the other two games against European minnows, where they really should have put them away. Yeah, I think if um, if you're you know you're, you're trying to pin one one decision or one moment in in a game um, where you've had you've had six group games, you know you know what I mean. Like 
you're you should have qualified elsewhere. You know, you can't beat is it was it Ammonia was it one nil in the end where McTominay scored in the end? Um Yeah, and I think they won three two in the game in Cyprus. So exactly I mean, they, they conceded a sloppy goal there, so they really shouldn't have done that either. I can't think of anything more more football fan than oh, we didn't qualify because of the uh because of the referee's bad decision rather than we should have beat some practical practically part time clubs uh on our way to it. You know, you could even look at it last night. If Ronaldo scores that uh that one on one where he tried to lob the goalkeeper, you win the group. If the one at the end goes in where there's a scramble in the box, you win the group. It's not it's it's not really fair to, to look at one refereeing decision, even though it was horrendous. But you can't look at that in in the context of six games and say, well, that's where we that's why we didn't qualify that one decision on game week, uh, sorry, match day two was it out of or, or maybe one of uh, of six because you knew what was going on from then on. You you knew you needed to qualify by two goals going into the Sociedad game. You knew you needed to to put goals past Nicosia and, and Sheriff when you played them. So it's it's typical football fan that you look at the referees pretty quickly and go, oh, well, Martinez's handball wasn't handball way back in November. So it's, uh, uh, sorry, in September. So it's not really uh, a thing which which I have too much sympathy for, to be honest. I bet there's a decision that went the other way as well. I bet if you looked at those six games across the Europa League campaign, you could find an incident that went the other way in Manchester United's favour that isn't being highlighted because it hasn't resulted in them missing out but it's it's all swings and roundabouts this stuff and we said this so much before VAR came in it kind of it evens itself out across the season and it does tend to I mean you look at West Ham's campaign and we'll come on to that shortly but they've had huge advantages from some decisions that have gone their way in their Europa Conference campaign because of a lack of VAR so it does even itself out and Manchester United can't blame their lack of winning the group on that one decision, as Marley said. Incidentally, if it was Liverpool in that position and they'd been playing on the day the Queen died and there'd be a decision against them, Jurgen Klopp would 100% be using that as an excuse. He'd be like, oh, how can we be expected to play when the monarch has died? Or something along those lines. So at least Ten Hag didn't stoop to that level. Your one-man Jurgen Klopp hate train ploughs on through the next station. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's becoming bullying now, Jim. I think you need to pack it in a little bit. Poor Jurgen. Thing is, it didn't even have to become a thing in that in that point. That was just (laughs) totally, totally needless. Yeah, exactly. Weren't even talking about Liverpool. Weren't even talking about a competition Liverpool have been in in the last ten years. I I retract it. I retract my statement. Nah, the hate's coming your way. The hate is coming your way, Jim. So we will find out exactly what happens with Manchester United and the new year, of course, when the Europa League returns. But when it does come back, Marley, they'll be playing against, as we've said, a Champions League dropout side in the round of 32. There's Sporting, Juventus, Barcelona, Bayer Leverkusen, Ajax, Sevilla. They're all possibilities. But should Manchester United fear any of those teams that have dropped down from the Champions League? Are they good enough to, to brush past all of them? Um, They look... Um, sort of daunting, don't they? On on paper, you know, you see the ones that are, that are dropping out, and you think, oh, there's some big teams in there. However, all those teams have got major problems at their club. Um, if you look at who's dropping out, you look at Juventus. I haven't seen Juventus been this bad since they got relegated 
from uh, for in the Calciopoli scandal when they went down to Serie D, and even then they still had Del Piero and Buffon, so they were still pretty pretty <laughs> handy. Um, you've got Barcelona in there, who are probably the strongest team, but their financial future, you know, is is all over the place. And by the time February comes round, we'll have we'll have um, obviously gone through the January transfer window which may have an impact on their squad because they haven't got the Champions League money coming in, so they might need to sell more players. Xavi might not be there. You never know with, with what's going on there. Um, then you look at sporting, talented but very young, um, probably not that much to fear. Um, you've got the Ronaldo narrative if he's still there as well, if that happened. Um, Ajax still rebuilding after Ten Hag. They don't look anywhere near as dangerous as they did under uh, Alfred Schroeder. So it's not... It's not as um, and severe relegation zone in in Spain. So, do you know what I mean? It's not as as um, daunting as it initially seems. Um, and I actually think it's really good for for Man United to to continue their sort of um, re like sort of new era under Ten Hag against a, a really big team. Like if they get Barcelona and put them out, I can't think of a, a bigger result at a more crucial stage of their season than if they turn Barcelona over over in two legs in February, going into the running um, and going into the sort of final third of the season, that that would be huge. So I'd be looking at it from a positive, um, a positive rather than a negative because, you know, you've, you've had months where you're going away to Ammonia Nicosia and, and to Sheriff Tiraspol and nobody wants to watch those games. Nobody wants to travel to those games. You've then got a Europa League game against a Champions League dropout, and it's it becomes a bit of a bit of an occasion on a Thursday night, and it gets a bit serious because you're gonna knock, you're gonna play one of the teams that could potentially go and win the tournament. Totally agree. And actually, having spoken to a few former United players last night, they said the exact same thing. They said, "Yeah, okay, you'd rather not have the games, and you'd rather go straight through to the last 16." But they are where they are, which is in the round of 32. And if they come up against Juventus or Barcelona or even Ajax, Eric Ten Hag's old team. Those are the games you want to be playing in. Those are the opportunities that you want to be getting as a player. So I'm sure that the the United players will be right up for that, whoever they get drawn against. And the goal scorer last night in their 1-0 victory, because it feels strange talking about this in the context of them going through in second place. It's almost like they lost the game. They actually won it last night. Alejandro Garnacho, the young Argentine, and Bruno Fernandes was speaking to the media after the game, Jim, and he said that it was Garnacho's attitude at the start of the season that restricted his opportunities in the first team. Now, he's only 18, so you can understand maybe he's got a little bit of an attitude. But what, what do you think that Bruno Fernandes meant by that comment? I don't know. It's weird, isn't it? I like Ganacho. I thought he looked good. I've only seen him a couple of times, but he's looked decent both times I've seen him play. And I think he should be pushing Jaden Sancho for that starting spot as well, given Sancho's up and down form. But I didn't. I, it. I don't like what Bruno Fernandez has done here. I don't think it's up to a player to come out and call his teammates, even though Fernandez will see himself as a senior member of that squad. I don't feel like he should be the one making those public statements. If anyone's going to do that, it should be coming from the manager rather than his teammates. And we've heard about divisions in the Manchester United dressing room already. That's certainly not going to help that situation. What he means by that, what the subtext is, I mean, we'd only be guessing, wouldn't we? Whether it's the arrogance of youth and Ganacho feels like he should be getting more first team opportunities than he should. Maybe he's not applying himself in training. Who knows? It would be pure guesswork. But I think it's just another indication that potentially... Manchester United is not the happiest place to be playing football at the moment. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's one of those things which was probably better off left unsaid. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those yeah. things that Fernandez didn't really need to comment on. But I do think that's the nature of Bruno Fernandez. He's quite an open character. And I don't think he shies away as well. When Manchester United are playing poorly, I think he's one of these characters that comes out and says things how they truly are. If if he commented on it, though, is it not a is it not a thing of like, it's, it's sort of like preempting him to not get carried away? Like... If he if he's had a bad attitude and then he goes and scores a couple of first team goals in the Europa League, is that going to come back? Is Fernandez comments, yeah, saying like you know what, don't get carried away, keep working, you do you're doing well. But you do that behind closed doors, don't you? He he puts his arm around him afterwards and goes, look, that's what you can do when you can apply yourself. This is your first team opportunity. Keep your head down, work hard. You don't do it. It's such a strange unwritten rule, isn't it, Jim? It's almost like you don't say explicitly that he had an attitude problem. You just say he just needed to get his head down and work a little harder in training. That's the way you say it to the media. You know, it's almost as if there are unwritten rules as a football player as to what you can and what you can't say. Because even the small things at Manchester United, as we saw the other week with Anthony doing that spin and then passing the ball out of play, they get magnified a hundred times over because of the nature of the size of the club. So that is something that will probably be picked up on. And now if Garnacho has a stinker in the next couple of weeks or gets sent off, everyone's going to say, oh, he's that kid with the attitude Mm -hmm. problem. It's just painting a character in a bad light when there's absolutely no need to do it. It's kind of, he will now be labelled as an individual with an attitude problem. And that's how the media will refer to it. And we're talking about it on a podcast. It just feels like an unnecessary thing for Fernandez to do, particularly for a young lad. Mm. And I thought that actually Garnacho deserved real credit last night. He took his goal really well. Two or three really smart touches to get away from the defender and then smashed it over the keeper. Really good goal. And I think you're right, Jim. I think we'll be seeing a bit more of him in the future. Just finally then, before we move on and talk about Arsenal and West Ham United, Harry Maguire was thrown up front last night for the last 10 minutes, Marley. What did you make of that decision from Eric Ten Hag, who decided to keep Lindelof and Martinez as the two centre-backs? And with United leading by a goal to nil, decided to launch on Harry up front. What did you make of that? Uh, It does make me laugh sometimes that the greatest minds in football coaching and, you know, elite coaches from around the world, when they're up against it and they need a goal, they just think, sorry, centre-back up front. The exact same as the Sunday League manager would do. We're going to stick the big fat lad up front because he can't move. Um, Whereas this time it's an £80 million centre-back who's very good in the air. So... It's kind of uh, refreshing that you can uh, you can share some wisdom with a guy who gets paid five or six million pounds a year, um, and equally, it didn't work. It doesn't work on a Sunday morning. It doesn't work on a Thursday night in the Europa League. Um, but it's just the latest uh, little chapter in Harry Maguire's stalling career, I would say. But <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You tried it. Give me uh, David James vibes from uh, when he went up front for uh, Man City way back against Middlesbrough in <laughs> 19, 2003 or whatever it was. So David James just went around fouling people, didn't he? He just like tried to, he was like marauded around up front, kicking <laughs> the greatest people. cameo in Premier League history. Looks so uncomfortable, just so uncomfortable anywhere near the opposition penalty area. It's quite funny. Um, do you think we'll be seeing Gareth Southgate throw Maguire on up front at the World Cup, Jim? I mean, <laughs> it'd be amazing if. Gareth Southgate did anything else other than play Harry Kane in the centre forward role so I think it's very unlikely you're more likely to see Harry Maguire out at right back or something like that yeah unless it's just some kind of confusion where he goes Harry you're up front and then like they just misunderstand (laughs) completely and Maguire ends up marauding around I'd like to think before an important World Cup that the communication levels would be slightly better than that to be honest (laughs) Um, but we will wait and see because the World Cup of course is only a matter of weeks away and we'll be right across it here on Football Social Daily so make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't 
won't miss any of the World Cup chat. But there were more Europa League games last night and indeed Europa Conference League game as well for West Ham to tuck into Arsenal as well in action. And we'll do it after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is FSD, your daily Premier League podcast from the Sport Social team. Don't forget you can get involved with the chat on social media. It's at FSD Pod on Twitter. You can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook as well. And at the top of our Twitter page, there is a pinned tweet, which if you click it, will take you straight to Telegram. You download the app, jump into the group chat and discuss all things football and all things football social daily in there. So make sure you jump in there by clicking the pinned tweet at the top of the profile, which is at FSD Pod. Right then, we're going to talk about Arsenal and West Ham United now, both sides in European action themselves last night. Arsenal winners against the Swiss side Zurich. Kieran Tierney's goal straight through to the last 16. They topped their group. Almost the opposite of what we said about Manchester United, Marley. They've avoided those Champions League dropout sides. They've got fewer games. Surely that's a positive, particularly if they're going to compete at the top end of the Premier League as well. Yeah, I think it's a uh, job done for Arsenal. I suppose they came through pretty nicely. Um, didn't expend too much energy wasn't too much um sort of ups and downs like a few other of the english teams they were in control of the group from from the first game really um and yeah got got it done last night tierney's goals in absolute beauty as well by the way for for a left back who barely scores goals to to pull out that type of uh, technique on the first time um sort of half volley is is superb um and yeah the arsenal did what they do, you know. They've they they look a bit um uh what's that? I don't know what the word is, like sort of pragmatic, like they they don't look amazing all the time, but when they win one nil, it's not a, a nervy one nil, it's kind of a, a comfortable one nil where like the goalie has a good game or the, there's a few chances sort of go missing and stuff and it was pretty comfortable really, so it was yeah, on to the next one for them. They'll just uh be starting to think now if we can get to the World Cup break top of the league you know we can we can uh start thinking about uh how, what 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 we have to do to keep Man City at bay um and then uh, push on in the league yeah, Mikel Arteta actually said after the game, Jim, that winning is good for winning. As Marley says, you've got players that maybe don't play as often getting appearances last night and yet they're still managing to grind out the wins even though it's slightly more pragmatic so I think Arteta's right isn't he with what he says yeah it's momentum isn't it and we know that sports 
men and women when they get into a a groove if you like it kind of builds a confidence for a club and players just play better and perform better when they're confident about their performances I do think Arteta rolled dice slightly last night with his team selection he clearly made some significant changes and moved away from his tried and tested first 11 that he's been relying on in the Premier League but he did enough and I think I mean he really is mini pep in Arteta you can kind of see the thought process and he feels like a very thoughtful and considered man in the choices he's making even to the extent that he clearly felt that towards the end of that game last night that it needed some shoring up that they needed to ensure they got the win and hang on to that one nil and they brought on the likes of Thomas Partey who has been key to a lot of the good stuff that has happened for Arsenal this season. When he plays, they're a completely different team. He just adds a stability to midfield. And clearly, Arteta was on the sidelines looking at that and making those calls. So, yeah, I mean, they're in a really good spot, Arsenal. They are, as Marley says, they're kind of pragmatic. They win however necessary. And within those wins, there's some absolutely stunning performances as well. But it's not each and every week that they're putting in a gun-ho 4-0 stunning display. They're able to shut up shop. They're able to win ugly when they need to they're looking very good at the moment and my early skepticism about how well they're going to do in the Premier League and in Europe is kind of fading away day by day at the moment because I think they've got a real chance of doing something decent this season is that real chance of doing something decent though Marley reliant on whether Gabriel Jesus can start finding the goal trail again because last night means it's now eight games without a goal for the Brazilian who in all fairness to him started really well for the Gunners and had some really good games where actually didn't find the back of the net and I think that's easily forgotten when you look at a period of games via the lens of a stat but his form for the Gunners in terms of goals has tailed off. Do you think that's a concern for Arsenal or do you think it's not too much of an issue with the World Cup coming up and then he can go away with Brazil and maybe come back um, slightly more rejuvenated? Who knows? What do you think? Uh, I don't think it's a concern, no, because even though your striker's not scoring goals, as long as your team's scoring goals, then that's fine. And also what Jesus does for the team has always been his biggest strength, which is also, in my opinion, the most underrated um, part of his game is, is pressing, his link up, his ability to carry out sort of tactical instructions is is way better than his uh, is necessary necessarily his goal scoring record. Like he's gone eight without a goal, but you come up with two assists at the weekend, and they're they're mm. big. Like it's, he's still it's, playing really well, isn't he? Yeah, he's. It's not like he's he's bereft of confidence and he's missing tap ins and he's not moving very well. He's still. For 90 minutes, he's a pain in your ass. He's, he's horrible to play against. He's always moving. He's, he's, um, movement in the penalty box is, is fantastic. He's, he's link up with Saka, Odegaard and Martinelli behind him. You remember, you gotta remember as well, like Martinelli is kind of a striker playing on the wing. So if Jesus drops into a hole, Martinelli against a, a left, um, from the left hand side is, is a real threat to, to drift across and get into goal scoring positions as well. So. I still, I think it's working. I've seen a few Man City fans saying like, "This is, this is Jesus. Like, this is he's not a, a pr- prolific goal scorer, but he is still, you know, decent, uh, a decent player. But he's not sort of world class. But in in the right system and and given a bit of love, um, I think Jesus is is as good as uh, as good as you're going to get. To be honest, yeah, I think that Gabriel Jesus is someone who's never been. I mean, his goal record for Manchester City, Jim, is really good, actually, if you look at the the time he spent there at the Etihad, but it's never into prolific territory. Is that fair to say, do you think? 
I think it is for Man City, but I think he was often played out of position in Man City. Pep Guardiola loved playing him on the wide, and I think he does flourish through the centre. And I think we will see him come back to goal-scoring form for Arsenal because, as Marley says in the... Uh, was it Forest they beat 5-0 at the weekend? Mm, yeah, no. smashed them. Was it? Yeah, yeah it yeah. was. Yeah. Um, he, 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 was ha- he was getting opportunities, and he came up with those two assists, but he was also having chances on goal. And... He was desperately unlucky in some scenarios. The keeper, uh, Henderson, made some brilliant saves in other scenarios. So the goals will come. So I'm not too worried about him. So, yeah, he was never massively prolific. And I don't think he's ever going to be a 20-goal-a-season striker. But he's going to be there or thereabouts. He'll finish the season with 15 goals or so. And I think that's plenty for Arsenal because they've got goals all over the pitch. They've got Martinelli tapping in. You've got Saka playing well, even... Granite Jacker's actually contributing from midfield now. So the fact that Gabriel isn't scoring hat-tricks every game, he's not doing an early in Haaland, won't be worrying Arteta too much. Yeah, I think that Gabriel Jesus has shown exactly what a good player he is at Arsenal so far. And Arsenal have shown what a good team they are too. They're through into the last 16 of the Europa League. They've topped the group. They're currently right up there at the top of the Premier League as well so what a season it's shaping up to be for the Gunners can they get to the World Cup in a similarly strong position we'll wait and see because only a couple of weeks left of Premier League action and we'll preview this weekend's matches in which Arsenal take on Chelsea that's a really big game and one that I'm looking forward to on the dugout which is our podcast featuring former Premier League professionals Trevor Stephen formerly of Everton won the title there in the mid 80s and of course a former England player as well joins me along with ex-Brighton and Leicester midfielder Dean Hammond so as I say hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it but we're going to move on to West Ham United now who have absolutely flown through the Conference League group stages another win Jim for your team last night surely you've got to be dreaming about winning it now already only seven games from the prestigious conference league trophy what do you think I mean I think any Premier League team that plays in the conference Europa conference should be hopeful of winning it the slight challenge is that the same issue for Europa Europa League teams exists for Europa Conference teams in that some decent teams are dropping down from the Europa League to the Europa Conference. So Lazio have dropped into the conference now. So a West Ham-Lazio final. They're the only ones. My next question to you was, is there anyone you fear in the Conference League? Anyone you don't want to play, the only team really is is Lazio because the Mm. rest of them are all fodder for West Ham really on paper. Yeah, I think they need to get to the final and winning it would be a bonus. I don't think it will feel like a massively significant victory if West Ham do go on to win it but still it'll be the first trophy they've picked up in absolutely ages I mean I did see a few West Ham fans last night on social media crowing about the fact they're the first team in Europa conference history to go unbeaten in the group it's like calm down lads it's only the second season it's two, two years seasons. Old. yeah exactly and I'm pretty sure there is in the history of any European competition, there isn't a team that's faced an easier group than the one West Ham had this year in the Europa Conference because none of the opposition has been really up to it. West Ham have not played well in many of the games and they've still managed to come through unbeaten with a plus nine goal difference. But they took the opportunity. They're into the knockout stages and I really like the way Moyes approached last night as well. Previously, when we've seen David Moyes kind of blood the youngsters in Europe, he's gone for a completely changed team and just thrown everyone in. But I liked the opportunity that the youngsters that played last night had of integrating with a few of those key members from the first team as well, which feels like a more genuine test of their ability when they can kind of slot in amongst the established players. So I really like how he did that. Now, this is a test of A, your 
quiz knowledge for in a few minutes time and whether you've been brushing up on any stats or anything like that and your ability to retain football information or this is a test of how serious you actually are about your team winning the Europa League because do you know where the final of the Conference League is this season Jim? Uh, the not, moon. <laughs> I want to say, say it. Martians FC. I want to say it's in Budapest. Oh it's not too far away it's in Prague actually. It's oh, in Prague, so that. it's actually the home of Slavia Prague. The Fortuna Arena will be the host uh, venue for the final, which, of course, is the former stomping ground of uh, Vladimir Sufal and Thomas Socek. So more than enough um, motivation for those guys to reach the Jim's final. Jim's eyeing a nice little uh, May breakaway yeah, to, uh, to Prague. If anyone has any contacts... I'm disappointed it's not a Bohemians <laughs> 1905 stadium because that's the only one I've been to in Prague. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where the final is and it looks like it could be um, West Ham getting there if all goes to plan. I mean, the thing is with West Ham though, Jim, you are liable to something West Hammy. I know Spurs have got the Spursy tag, but it would be typical West Ham for you to get knocked out by someone who most people have never heard of. Yeah, it would have been very West Hammy just not to get through the group stages without a point, to be honest with you, rather than getting knocked out in a significant competition. I think I think from here, I was about to say something, I was about to curse West Ham by saying, I think we'll see them step up from here. But I do, I think that'll be the case. I mean, West Ham are finding a little bit of form now. The team are playing a little bit more as a team rather than as individuals. So I feel like the season might kick on from here, but I'm relatively confident in the Europa League. But at the same time, I'm not that. I'm, I still don't feel that bothered about it. It's still got a touch of the Carabao Cups that I don't think I'm going to get genuinely interested until we get to the semi-finals. If you get the opportunity, see that by for the way, me is just sorry. evidence of a spoiled Premier League fan. Without being rude to you, because I know that there are many clubs who would love to be. I mean, look at how much it meant to Roma last season to win the Europa Conference, the first iteration of the competition. The fir- how do you feel about the early stages of the Johnson's Paint Trophy? Well, the Johnson's Paint Trophy is different because, (laughs) first of all, we have to be in it and there's under 21 teams in it. So therefore, I'm not really that bothered by it. But if you use the Carling Cup or the Carabao, whatever it's called now as an example, I think there are many teams who would absolutely love to get their day at Wembley and win that. I think it'd be brilliant. Yeah, but you don't tend to take it seriously until you get to the quarterfinals. I think that's the, that's the difference, isn't it? Well, why? Because hang on, Jose Mourinho's got a a tattoo of the... uh... Conference League thing. I want to see David Moyes rocking a a chess piece with a massive um, Europa Conference League uh, ink on his chest next season when West Ham ultimately go to the final and get beat by Lazio. I think think it's almost a lack of belief, though, at that stage. It's like if you are a, a West Ham who has no pedigree in cup competitions, you don't really believe you're going to have a chance of doing anything until you get to the quarters or the semis. Because you think that at some point you'll come up against a Liverpool or a Manchester City or a Chelsea and that'll be the end of your cup run. But when it gets to the latter stages, it starts to feel real. So it's probably a combination of things. It's probably a combination of not being that bothered at the early stages, but also it's a lack of belief of thinking how far your team can get because you can't imagine your team going that deep into a competition because it just doesn't happen. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I do get exactly where you're coming from. But West Ham absolutely soared through the Conference League group stages and they are into the last 16 of the competition. And much like the Champions League, the Europa and the Conference League, all of these matches involving Premier League teams in the knockout stages will be played after the new year, which sounds like ages away, but actually it's not that far away. And we've got a World Cup in between as well. And we'll be keeping you up to date with all of the goings on in Qatar 
are on Football Social Daily. So hit subscribe and that way you won't miss it. That is it for the football. Next up, we've got the all-important Friday FSD quiz. We'll be doing it next. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast, final part of today's show. I'm Niall, I've got Jim and Marley with me, and it is time for the Friday FSD quiz. And for the first time, Jim, you're in the contestant's chair. How are you feeling about it? Bring it on. Ooh, fighting talk, Marley. I've seen Jim fight, it's nothing to worry about. Oh, (laughs) I feel like we need a WWE-style promo and entrances with fireworks and music and all sorts. Um, I have a tiger playing in the background. That would certainly blow our budget out of the water, so we'll just stick to the usual quiz. (laughs) Um, The way this works is it is a question each, we take it in turns, and it's always youngest first on the quiz, so that will be you, Marley, to take the first question. And after four questions each... If it's a draw, we go to the tiebreaker question and it's fastest finger first. Whoever gets that question right first is the winner of the Friday quiz. So is everyone happy with the rules? Yes. Yep. Okay, well, let's begin. Marley, you begin because you're the youngest of us here. Your first question. Roma won last season's UEFA Europa Conference League, but who did they beat in the final? Oh, that's weird. I was literally thinking about who Roma beat before and I think it was Feyenoord. Yes, Feyenoord's the correct answer. Well done, Marley. You're on the board. Good job we were talking about the Conference League a minute ago. Otherwise, that might have been a slightly more difficult one to get. So, well done. Uh, Marley Anderson takes the lead. And it's now over to Jim to try and restore parity here with his first question. Alejandro Garnacho became Manchester United's youngest non-English European goalscorer last night when he scored against Real Sociedad. But who was the previous record holder? Youngest non-English goal scorer for Manchester United. In Europe, yeah. Before Garnacho. Before Garnacho. <laughs> and actually, it's not as recent as you might think. So I've given you a bit of a clue there because I don't think this is a particularly easy question. <laughs> it's, no, it's not. Um, I don't know. I can't even think. I guess Alanga, but I don't even know if Alanga's... English or not? Uh, Elang is Swedish, but the answer was actually George Best in the 1960s. George Best. So Garnacho has overtaken George Best as United's youngest non-English European goal scorer. Because, of course, you can think back to someone like Wayne Rooney, for example, who probably scored um, in his teenage years in European competition for United. So it still remains 1-0 to Mali going into Mali's second question. West Ham United have a 100% winning record in Europe this season. But how many Premier League games have they won in 22-23 so far? Uh, Four. Is the correct answer. Well done. Well done. 
four. I just thought, seeing as uh, Jim's the West Ham fan here, I thought I'd flip it and throw that question to Marley. So I wouldn't have got that. I'm surprised at that. Well, the answer was four, so it's actually two nil to Marley, and you need to claw back some ground here, Jim. So here you go. Here's your second question. It's Chelsea versus Arsenal in the Premier League this weekend. Arsene Wenger's True. a thousandth. <laughs> Arsene Wenger's a thousandth game in charge as Arsenal boss was back in 2014, and it was against Chelsea. Can you guess the score? This isn't part of the question, but I'm just going to ask you if you can guess the score. His thousandth game was a 2-1 victory. Oh, it wasn't. What do you think, Marley? Wasn't it like a, a 4 or 5 one defeat? They lost 6-0 to Chelsea that day. They lost 6-0 yeah, to Chelsea. Smashed, so this score. isn't part of the question, but this is the bit you need to get right here, Jim. So they lost 6-0 to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Can you name any of the five goal scorers for Chelsea that day? 2014, Wenger's 1,000th game in charge. Arsenal lost 6-0. Who scored for the Blues? Uh, you just want one of them. Any of the five scorers. Any of the five scorers. So what was the date again? Think back to 2014. It was March 2014. Wenger's 1,000th game in charge. His time at Arsenal was just beginning to come to an end. Um, Who scored the goals for Chelsea? I'm, I'm guessing it was slightly unusual players that might have scored. So... Um, I can't even think who was there. Who was playing up front at that time? Who was playing in the forward positions for Chelsea in 2014? I can understand why you've probably forgotten about this player because one of them's pretty significant, but he seems to have dropped off the radar recently. Um, I'll tell you who was there. Oscar was there at that time. Before it was before he went to over to China. Didn't score. I'm going to go Oscar. Well done, Jim. He was one of the goal scorers. Oscar actually scored two goals in that 6-0 victory. Um, brilliant stuff, Jim. Well, it was either him or David Louise I was going well, for. Well, I'll tell you the score. Is Marley, do you know any? I'll give I you a chance David to uh, try and answer, Marley. What do you reckon? Uh, I'm going to go Samuel Leto, um, Andre Schürrle, <laughs> Hazard Penalty and Mohamed You've Salah. Googled it. You've Googled it. <laughs> I could actually hear you Googling. Well, as, as I, I well when the question got answered, I, I thought, well, surely Drogba's one of them, but I got my I got my dates wrong. So then I thought, oh, well, surely Diego Costa's one of them. And then I no. looked on the thing as, as Jim was deliberating and, and silently Googling, and I just thought, <laughs> I would never have got Salah. No, I would have never got no. Salah. Well, that's the one. He scored the final goal. So Oscar scored two, Salah, Azar, Shearer, and Eto, the other goal scorers. But yeah, finished 6-0 These are Chelsea. tough questions. Uh, they're tough questions, but you got the question right, Jim. So you shouldn't be complaining when you've walked away with a point there. It's still 2-1 to Marley. Just looking at the lineups, and John Terry was playing in midfield that day. <laughs> David Louise was playing right wing. Are you on the BBC Sport one as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't even know if they've just given up on this. <laughs> I mean, Matic at centre-back and Terry at defensive mid with, with Cahill at left-back. I mean... Yeah, they've just dropped yeah, them they, from a height, haven't they, and seen where they've landed. <laughs> Who was the yeah. manager at the time for Chelsea? Can you remember? Because I can't. That would have been Jose Mourinho at that time. So another Mourinho masterclass, are you saying? Cahill at left-back, John Terry in midfield, and then you've gone and beaten Arsenal 6-0. No wonder he called Wenger a specialist in failure. Another embarrassment on Wenger's record at the hands of Jose Mourinho. But well done, Jim. You've got the points. You've clawed <laughs> back some ground. You've halved the deficit. It's still 2-1 to Marley going into Marley's third question. And here it is. Speaking of Chelsea versus Arsenal, can you name four players who featured for both clubs in the Premier League era? Uh, William Gallas. Willian. Uh, Czech. 
and Ashley Cole. Correct. Well done. Well done, Marley. You've got the point. You've stretched out your lead to 3-1. I think Didn't mention have... David Luiz as well, who we were talking about just a moment ago. David Luiz could oh, have yeah. had uh, <laughs> Emmanuel Petit, Aubameyang, who's there right now, and Olivier Giroud is another one. There's a few that have played for both clubs. So, yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. Well done, Marley. You've got yourself a point there. I think, Jim, it's looking difficult for you to come back from this point onwards, but we'll give it a go with your next question. Unai Emery is the new Aston Villa manager, but who replaced Emery on a temporary basis at the Emirates before Mikel Arteta was given the permanent gunner's job? Oh, God. <laughs> you do know the answer to this question because he used, to, he used to play for your club. Oh, I've, I've just realised. Was it a temporary? It someone came on a temporary basis. Yeah, about two or three games. It's Dean Ashton. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, ex-West Ham players who kind of went in. I don't think as... you'll get it by thinking down that trail of thought. Oh, really? It's, yeah. yeah. That... He's very much If I'm thinking of the right person, he's like an Arsenal legend and you forget he played for West Ham. Exactly right. Well, that's, that's either David Suka or Ian Wright. <laughs> the only two I can think of from that scenario. <laughs> and I don't think it's either of them. Um, I don't know, pass. Uh, the answer was Freddie Ljungberg. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, he spent three or four games Freddie in temporary in charge pants. of Arsenal. And then there were a few people, because he did reasonably well post-Emery, that said, give him the job. I think one of them might have been Piers Morgan. And then Arteta came in and he's done really well since then. So, yeah, I actually had forgotten about that until I was researching some questions for today's quiz. So... Unlucky, Jim. I think that means that you're going to have to concede defeat to Marley here, but we'll go through with the next couple of questions anyway. Okay, Marley, your next well, your next question is, the next World Cup will be hosted in the United States, Mexico and Canada. What was the last World Cup to be hosted in multiple nations? Sorry, I've just Googled and realised that Freddie Lundberg's first name is not Freddie. Does anyone know that? <laughs> no idea, mate. Do you know what his, first, his real first name is? I don't know. No idea. Carl. Carl? Carl, yeah. Carl Ljungberg? Yep. Let's have a ring to it. Anyway, um, I think it's Japan, South Korea, 2002. Well done, Marley. You've got the question go. right. Clean sweep for you, Marley. 100%. I know. Have your questions correct? Very An good. Absolutely barnstorming performance to sweep aside Jim, who's got a chance to pull back a consolation point here to make it 4-2 with this question. Jim Salverson, you put Jurgen Klopp in the sea again this week and even had a little dig at him on today's Football Social Daily. But what honour was bestowed upon the German a few days ago? Freedom of the city of Liverpool. Well done, Jim. Well done. He's pulled it back. He's pulled it back. Well done. 4-2. He's got himself a consolation. Rare bit of praise for Jurgen Klopp as well. In the, during the ceremony, he looked very smart. He had a kind of black suit on black shirt black tie looked very smooth uh, and also i thought his his hair obviously it's not his hair the hair he has on his head um was very good it looked on point so a rare bit of phrase for Jürgen, rare, rare <laughs> bit of praise for Jürgen klopp as well are you trying to claw back the inevitable abuse that you're going to get for slagging <laughs> off Jürgen klopp because you didn't do yeah. a very good job of it if that's what you were trying to do i've got to go to liverpool this weekend so i'm trying to make sure i don't get <laughs> attacked when i'm there <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Liverpool fan out and about in the city of Liverpool, um, please leave Jim alone. <laughs> please leave Jim alone. Uh, all right, that's the end of the quiz this week. Another victory for you, Marley. You seem to be on a bit of a roll. We might have to um, might have to find a uh, a tougher competitor for you. Well, so they're, they're out there somewhere. They're just uh, they're not Jim. <laughs> I thought um, you were going to say Klopp's. What is Klopp's middle name? Um, Norbert. Yeah, Norbert. Incredible. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, we didn't make it to the tiebreaker question. It is a convincing win for Marley. And that is it as well for today's episode of Football Social Daily. And that is it for our weekday podcasts as well. But don't forget, we'll be back with the dugout a little bit later on this evening. And indeed, you can listen to it tomorrow as well. Former Premier League professionals Trevor Stephen, who won the title with Everton, and Dean Hammond, who played for Leicester City, and Brighton and Hove Albion in the top flight. He'll be joining me as well as Trevor on the show. We'll be looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League matches. There are some big ones. Spurs against Liverpool. Chelsea against Arsenal. Leeds as well with a massive game at Bournemouth. And of course, Unai Emery in his first game is Aston Villa manager against Manchester United. All of that on the dugout, so hit subscribe and you won't miss it. But from myself, Jim O'Malley on FSD, that's it. And we'll catch you next time. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.